Welcome again to worship. I'm Pastor Thea, and I'm so glad that you are joining us today live. Yes, everything happening that you're seeing is happening right now, both here and at home, and I'm so glad that you've been able to join us. And I'm actually really, really excited about next Sunday when we will welcome back folks into the building for in-person worship where the body of Christ will join together in our bodies in the same space. I'm really looking forward to that. And if you are ready, I hope that you'll come. I hope you'll come with an open heart and an open mind as we live into this new arena and this new season of worship together. I hope you come ready to share your insight and your feedback. And I hope you come ready to extend a little grace. And for those of you who aren't ready to come back in worship, that's okay in person. I hope you stay connected right here where you are through our live stream services that will continue to be offered. I hope you stay connected digitally and I hope you're still staying connected with a small group of folks that you can really trust in this time. And as you continue to worship with us as we offer both in person and online at the exact same time, I'd also wanna ask you to come with your suggestions on how we can do that better, how we can be more connectional and authentic in this space. And I pray that you too come with a little grace. We've been talking about grace the last couple of weeks, just how big grace is, how it's bigger than our past and our hurt. And today we're going to talk about how grace is bigger than our mistakes. But before we go any further, I want to stop and invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. Gracious and good God, we come before you in this time and in this space and in this place, recognizing your presence with us, the gift of your love and goodness, your mercy and justice, your compassion and forgiveness and redemption all at once, all within our reach and poured out upon us. God, in this time, we pray that we would be willing to see you, to hear you, and somehow find the courage to follow you. Amen. We're going to read from John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. As you find that spot in your Bible, I want to let you know that this is at the very end of John's gospel. This is some of the final words that John, uh, that we, that is captured in this account. It's one of the last conversations, one of the last things we have that Jesus says while here on earth. John 21 verses 15 through 19 says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. I love Peter. Peter is one of my favorite disciples. Peter is one of the first disciples called and invited to follow Jesus. Peter is the one who declares that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, the Christ. And it's upon this truth that Jesus claims he will build his church. Jesus, excuse me, Peter is also the disciple who tries to rebuke Satan out of Jesus. When Jesus tells his disciples he will go to Jerusalem and die. It's Peter who cuts the ear off of a soldier who comes to arrest Jesus. And it's Peter who tells Jesus, I will not let you die. I would die first before I let that happen to you. In which Jesus reminds or points out to Peter, no, in fact, you will deny me three times. And Peter does just that denies even knowing who Jesus is on the very night that Jesus is arrested. And it's kind of easy to identify Peter by his mistakes. He kind of has a lot of them. And when I think about mistakes, I'm reminded of starting elementary school and that fresh pack of school supplies. And in it is that nice wooden soft pencil it's yellow, perfectly sharpened, and at the end, it has a pink, fluffy eraser. And if things are going really good for you, you might have even had your very own separate eraser. It was kind of rectangular. It was a little bit firm, a little bit bendy. It was pink, and it smelled just like erasers. And I think about how we provide our children with these supplies as they start school, as they are beginning to learn to read and write and draw. And we know that mistakes are inevitable. They're expected. They're allowed. Sometimes they're even celebrated. And I think about how much freedom we allow our children to make mistakes. And I also think about how despite that freedom, I remember as a child, despite all the pencils and erasers I had access to, I longed to use a pen, something more permanent, something more mature. And yes, I still made mistakes. I had to cross them out or write it in the margin or if there were really bad mistakes. I had to throw the whole paper away because as you know, with a pen, mistakes are not so easy to erase. And I think about as we have evolved into this digital world where almost all of our communication is digital via text or email or a, a post. So much of our lives are captured and shared online where they are truly unerasable. And that includes our mistakes. And we, we see this for those people in places of, of power and, and also people normal, just like me and you. It's, it's a phenomenon we call cancel culture today, 
where people's mistakes are not only captured online, but they're shared over and over and over again, often coming to the realization that these people who made the mistakes lives can be completely overturned because of a mistake. I was reading about one incident um, that revolved two people. One was Christopher Cooper, who is a black man who was sitting in a park when Amy came upon him and they started to have a disagreement. That disagreement led to Amy calling the police and the whole thing was captured online and shared over and over and over again. This exchange led to Amy losing her job, losing the, the trust and confidence of friends and family. She even lost her dog because she was deemed unworthy to be a dog mom. And in the interview, Christopher talked about this situation that he happened to be a part of. And he said something like, I don't know this woman. I don't know anything about her or her life. Yes, the incident that I experienced seemed to be racially charged, but I can't make a judgment about someone based on 60 seconds of a mistake. When Jesus comes to Peter in this conversation, knowing all things, knowing all of Peter's mistakes, Jesus refuses to identify Peter by his mistakes. And instead, he extends grace. Speaking of mistakes, I have made a lot, and especially in college. Oh, that's kind of the time when mistakes really happen, and that's really when the big ones seem to happen, right? And one of those big mistakes in college for me was being a part of a relationship that was really unhealthy. It was really toxic. And as my friends and family members noticed this growing mistake and the evidence of it, they pointed it out. They encouraged me to leave. They encouraged me to see the, the depth that it could get to, and I refused to listen. My pride and my ego and my assurance that I could make it better myself kept me from acknowledging or even changing that mistake. And five years later, when I had to call my mom and ask if I could come home, because by getting out of that mistake, I would lose my job and my friends and my home and all my money, she said yes. And something she didn't say ever was, I told you so. She never once said, this is what I was talking about. This is what I was afraid of. This is what I was trying to keep you from experiencing. No, she let me come and sleep on her couch for months and let me work through the process of owning and overcoming my mistakes. She extended me grace. Jesus tells a parable in the Gospel of Luke about a son who goes off to, to the big world with everything and loses it all. And when he is at the bottom of his own barrel, without money, without friends, without even food to eat, the son decides that despite not deserving to even be called a son, he would return to his father and simply ask, can I be a servant? The bare minimum. But while he was still 
a long way off. His father runs to him, greets him with a hug, and kisses him over and over and over again. And as the son is receiving this this kind of welcome, he tries to deny it and say, no, no, you don't understand, Dad. I don't even deserve this. I just want to be a servant. The father says, no, bring a robe, bring a ring. Let's kill the fatted calf. We have to celebrate. My son was lost and now he's found. He was dead. Now he's alive. The father extends grace to his son. And in these stories, I think it's easy for us to jump to the the resolution that grace is forgiveness. And yes, forgiveness is in grace, but there is something so much more. There is something so much more about grace that is beyond mere forgiveness. Grace is love and mercy, compassion, It's acceptance and redemption. It's also revelation and renewal. It's wisdom and strength and power. Because you see, grace is actually all of who God is. It's God's substance. It's the very nature of God that makes God God. And it's the very nature of God that God doesn't hold for God's self, but pours out onto us and extends to us to be able to to experience too. Grace is God's godness. And that is really big. And let's face it, God's grace is big because God is really big. God is so big that our human brains and experience and language can't even begin to come close enough to understand or articulate the depth of the size of God. It's, it's so big that we are limited by the little that we know to be able to fully understand or share how big God is. The, the closest I could come up with today for the, to understand the bigness of God is the bigness of the sky. And the sky is always there in the beginning, forever to come. The sky blankets all of creation. And the sky is both, it's inescapable. We can try to get away from it. We can believe it's not there. And yet, there it is. Always, every day, every night. It never goes away. And there are pieces of the sky that sometimes we can experience separate of the whole collection and and we can maybe begin to wrap our head around and and maybe understand aspects of it. And then in its full collection, it is so magnificent and awe-inspiring that often we are left without words. And despite this amazingness of of the bigness of the sky, the sky reveals itself to us over and over again in everyday little moments, like the beauty of an early morning sunrise where the sun is just peeping over the ground and everything is still so quiet. Or what about an afternoon rain shower and the beams of the sun just pierce through the sky like arms reaching out to earth 
And what about a lightning storm across a desert sky? The power and might. The sky is so big and so far and so deep that we haven't even begun to explore all of it, to find all of it, to understand all of it. We don't even have enough time in our lives to get to the end of it because it is so big and so wide and so vast. It's kind of, sort of, not really, but maybe close to just how big God is. Another really big thing about God is God's mission, God's work, God's will. When Jesus comes to Peter in this conversation and affirms Peter's love for Jesus, he, ta- he redirects Peter to the mission, to the work he's called him to do. He asks, do you love me? And when Peter says, yes, Jesus says, feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, you know that I do. Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, you know all things. Feed my lambs. Jesus is affirming that this work that he has called and invited and equipped Peter to do is what is most important. It's what is bigger. It's what Peter needs to be focused on. That's where he needs to put his attention Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Be sure my children know how much I love them and how deep and full my grace is. Have you made a mistake at work recently? Maybe it was small. Maybe it was big. And in that, you have spent a lot of time reviewing that mistake, right? Finding the source of it. Maybe so you don't make it again. Maybe you had to spend some time apologizing or rebuilding trust and relationships. Maybe you've just obsessed about it. It's gone over and over and over in your head and in your mind. You've talked about it with your friends and your colleagues and your family. And in this time that all that obsession has been happening, all that review and editing and, and looking over the mistake, all this thought and time that's gone into what was the mistake? How do I make it better? How do I be sure I never make that mistake again? I wonder how much work has actually gotten done. I wonder how productive you've been amidst the obsession over the mistake or the fear of making another one. You see, that's that's the point, is that when we are obsessing over mistakes, we're not focused on our mission. And here at Redeemer Church, we believe we have a mission to follow Jesus, to lead others to Jesus, and to change the world. Mistakes are going to happen. We can address them. We can look at them. We can focus. We can review them. But we've got a bigger mission at hand. That mission is way bigger than any mistakes. Any mistakes I'll make or you'll make or collectively we can make together. That mission is so much bigger. And here's the piece about this conversation between Jesus and Peter that is really key. I would would say it's the most important piece about this conversation of when Jesus comes to Peter, despite his mistakes, affirms Peter's love for him and redirects him on what he is to focus on, the mission, the work to continue to follow Jesus. 
It doesn't happen after the first mistake or the second. It doesn't happen in, in um, preparation of a mistake about to happen. This conversation happens after Jesus has been arrested and tortured, crucified, has died, and rolled the stone away to come up out of the grave, overcoming all mistakes, all sin, and all death for all people and all eternity. This conversation happens after the cross saying, for sure, no doubt, the mistakes are not that big. My resurrection, my life, my death, my resurrection, the truth of who I am, that is more important than anything you could do, Peter. This truth is one that you should hold to, to cling to. This is the truth that you are to follow, to lead you to my people. Paul talks about it in the book of Romans, chapter 5, 6 through 8. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in the midst of our mistakes and our mistakes that we had made and mistakes that we will make, while we were still clothed in all of that, Christ died for us, saying that those mistakes are not going to stop me and my love and my goodness and my righteousness and my grace that I extend to you. Because, of course, all of who I am as God is big and big enough to cover all mistakes. And friends, well, that's a hard, big idea to grapple with. I encourage you to do so. Think about it. Pray about it. Talk about it. Meditate about it. Think about the depth and the goodness and the richness of God's grace that is extended to each one of you, to each one of us, to all of humanity, and how that changes basically everything. Let's pray. Good, good, good God. It is your grace that even allows us to begin to try to know you. It is your grace that allows us to hear you. It is your grace that allows us to see you, to read your holy words, and to understand just a little bit of the depth of your love extended to each one of us. And God, it's by your grace that you wipe us clean, that you overcome all of our sin, all of our mistakes, all of the separation we create between you and us and you redeem us, you make us whole, and you make us new. It's by your good, good grace. Amen.